let's uh, have our reading today, which is from Colossians 4. We're going to be beginning at verse 7. It's, it's one of those uh, passages with lots of names in it that everyone fumbles over. I have been practicing the names this week. We'll see how this goes. Uh, this is one of the reasons people are always frightened to do readings, I think. Caitlin, who is an expert on these things, certainly far more than I, uh, tells me that first name is pronounced Titicus. So that's what we're going to go with. So chapter 4, beginning at verse 7, says, Titicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending you him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You'll have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of the Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all of the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him and that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Give my regards to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it that it is also read to the church of the Laodiceans, and that you may t in turn the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we never cease to learn more about you. And even when it's from passages that maybe don't jump out at us, we celebrate the scriptures and we celebrate what you've been teaching your people through them for thousands of years. And we approach them now with open hearts and eager minds. We ask these things in your name. Amen. So, Caitlin, you are an incredible worship leader. And you are an astounding program director of Wellspring. That's my new title. That's a new title, know. by the way. We just thought we'd slip that one in. Oh, actually, no, it will be if we vote it through later. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> so something to look forward to, everyone. I know. <laughs> like the real highlight of the meeting later. So assuming that vote goes through. Uh, but, uh, but that's not what I brought you up here for today. What, why are you here right now? We've just read the Bible, Caitlin. What's that got to do with you? I mean, I think the Bible has a lot to do with everyone. Excellent answer. <laughs> but, but specifically. But specifically. So you mentioned you asked me about how to pronounce some of these names today. Um, so in case you didn't know, if you've been, you haven't been coming here for too, too long, um, my background is not in administration, as you may have guessed um, from my... <laughs> from your administration. <laughs> yes, from my slow learning on the job. Um, my background is actually in classical history. 
Um, so I did a master's a couple years back focusing on Roman art. Um, but in doing that, I also had to study um, classical Greek and Roman history and literature and language and all of that. So it kind of goes together, which means that I tend to read the Bible as like a literary, like a literary criticism rather than as just the Bible. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think it adds a lot of like texture and context to what I'm reading. Cool. So would you mind adding a little bit of that content and texture to what we've just read? What can you like tell us about letters like this from this time? Yeah, so I think actually the passage that we just read is a really great example of um, kind of the ending part of a letter. So there's, um, there's a pretty standard structure to letters from this period, which generally start with an introduction, and then there's a, a body in the middle, which I'll come back to, um, and then that ending part. So this structure, <laughs> that introduction is very much like a way for Paul to express his authority. Um, he's saying, this is why you should listen to me. So if you go back and, and look at the beginning of Colossians, um, he'll usually say something like, uh, like, I am a messenger of God, or I come to you because I have been working on such and such thing. Um, as kind of a, a preface for, for, like, heed my advice later on. He is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. There you go. Yeah. You should um, listen to him. Yeah, so you should listen to him because he's an apostle by the will of God. How can you argue with that? Um, and then he moves on into the body of the letter. And what's interesting about this is that um, a lot of the letters that we have left over, because, of course, many letters from the Roman period are no longer with us, but a lot of the ones that are left are written by famous orators. So people who are delivering speeches in courtrooms and things like that um, in the Senate. And so it seems like Paul is working with this same speech structure. He's got all the same rhetoric as all these other guys. Um, so he's using, he's making arguments, he's using proofs, um, all those kinds of things as a form of persuasion, um, which in the end is actually a great way of kind of forming a relationship with people because the people who are reading and receiving these letters, when he's using like scripture as proof, it's a way to kind of show a relationship with these people. They would recognize any scripture that he's quoting, um, and so therefore they would have like a shared history and, and heritage that they are referring to. So it's both a way of persuading, but then also coming back to um, to to sharing something together and, and building that relationship. Um, a letter is a really great way to do that because, like, a letter instead of delivering a speech, <laughs> which is you know kind of luxury and not great, especially when it's something like Colossians, when it's like, don't do this. Um, <laughs> a, a letter is a way to, it's like, it's a part of a relationship. It's half of a conversation. So it invites a reply, um, which you wouldn't necessarily get with a speech. And it takes something that is kind of harsh into making it uh, like friendly, constructive criticism. And it, it really is then very relational, um, almost like a, like a teacher correcting students. Um, so that, then that brings me to the end of the letter, which we just read. Um, actually, the end parts would be a little bit before that, beginning probably at the beginning of chapter four. But that's the part that is, I think, the most important part of the letter. <laughs> because um, that is a summary, essentially. So if we look at the beginning of chapter four, it's basically Paul saying, here, in case you didn't listen, here's the part that you really need to take home. Um, I think it says something like about uh, make sure that you're praying for each other and being kind to another. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, and uh, be nice. Yeah, yeah. Nice. yeah. yeah. 
So like if you he has all all the reasons why before that, but if you weren't paying attention, these are the things you should take away. So that's that's his summary there. But then he brings back that relationship part by talking about specific people. It's a way to ground these bigger theological ideas in reality by saying, like, hey, I know this guy. He knows that I like what I'm talking about. He knows that I am who I say I am. So therefore, listen to what I say. It brings it all together and makes it something real. Um, something that's kind of interesting to note about this is that that end section is probably the only part actually written by the letter writer, by Paul. The rest of it, like he wrote, but he would have dictated it to a scribe. He might have actually physically written with his own hand the end bit. In fact, a lot of the times, you can look at almost every one of the letters, and there will be a section that says, like, I, Paul, said this, or I, Paul, wrote this with my own hand. So that's where you kind of, <laughs> that's where you're able to see this is the part to take away. Um, this is where, where Paul really wants to drive something home. So these are the things that I see when I read the letters. I hope that helps you with some context behind why that passage, at, especially at the very end, is so important, even though it's just a list of names. Thank you, Caitlin. So, <laughs> yeah, the beginning of my message today is, it's really interesting. I think there are certain parts of the Bible that maybe maybe we rush through a little bit more than others. Um, there are certainly parts of Colossians I know that I can quote off by heart, especially after the last few weeks, I suppose, of looking at this book. But then when I get to the end of the book, I'm like, yeah, say the thing to the guy. It's great. I'm like, I don't know these people. And if I don't know these people, I don't really care what's being said to these people. It kind of makes sense that people that we don't know about getting encouragement shouldn't really be as central to us as other things mentioned in this letter. But I really, the more I prayed about this, the more I felt drawn to it, actually. I felt it was important that we, that we finish with this text. And, and Caitlin there really helped fill that out for me and understanding what's going on here. Uh, and so, thank you. And I love that idea of, well, that one of the sad things, I suppose, about these letters is we only have one half of the conversation. We only have one half of the relationship. And so, if you imagine, really, any relationship or that we witness, if you're only seeing the person on the phone, you're missing out on a lot of that. And that's kind of what we're getting here. And so, I, I think it's really fun to imagine what that back and forth might have looked like. And as Caitlin said, I love that the whole point of a letter is it's so relational. The expectation is there will be a reply. There will continue to be a relationship. So that's why we're looking at this last bit. I was really tempted to skip over it, and I didn't, and I'm glad I didn't. So that. <laughs> I, I will say my sermon this morning might feel a tiny bit more disjointed than it usually does, and I'm very sorry about that. Uh, I'll, I'll use the first part of the reason, the reading to as a kind of excuse as for why. We hear in verse 8 that Paul is sending Titicus uh, with express purpose that you may know our circumstances and that so he may encourage your hearts. Uh, later he says in Nisimus, in chapter 9 this is, Nisimus is going to tell you everything that's happening here. Uh, and so I'm going to use that as a kind of weak excuse to explain to you where I am at and, and be a little bit vulnerable with you for a moment. Um, as many of you will know, uh, the sermon is something that takes a lot of time and effort, and, and, I, and I love that I get to spend my week uh, in prayer and in research and with God and, and trying to work out what is helpful for people to hear. Uh, but this week has been 
a little bit busier than usual. Um, just to explain that, I suppose, some of you will know I've been helping out the meeting house a little bit. Their pastor was suspended on allegations of sexual misconduct uh, in December, and we can get really into the weeds, I won't. Uh, the accusations were true and, and worse than that term conveys. I realize that we are not the meeting house. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, but my friends, Danielle and Quincy, are both pastors at the meeting house, and the three of us have been working together on uh, both sermons for here and sermons for there as well. Uh, Danielle felt that the meeting house's response to condemning Bruxy's abuse wasn't strong enough, and so she resigned out of solidarity with the victim. And Quincy, for now, has stayed to pastor those who have been left behind. Uh, both Quincy and Danielle are beloved friends of mine, uh, and I believe that they are both doing exactly what they feel the pastoral responsibility to do, but, but it's really hard, uh, and it's really hard seeing the cruelty that has been aimed at my friend Quincy, who stayed to try and lift the wounded people from the rubble of this situation, and it's really awful to see the ugliness that's been aimed at Danielle, um, who's only done what the victim asked her to do. Uh, that's been her, her stance all the way through this. She just wants to stand with the victim. And, and I had a real fire in my bones in this week in between the just sadness over all of it. And I thought, I'm just going to throw the Colossians text out. I'm going to preach on the abuse of power and God hearing the victim and, and listening to the cries of those that we silence um, and anything that needs to come later. And it probably needs to come when I know there's not going to be children in the service as well. I also think it shows that the churches just have space for improvement and being more victim conscious is something I think that we all need to work on too. Uh, so we'll, we'll look into doing that in a little while. So uh, Paul uses this as it says, I'll give you an update on how I'm doing. Uh, I've, this has been a weighty week um, with, with a lot of hurt people. And so I uh, do hold those in the meeting house, both my friends that I've mentioned and the, the many people who uh, can only be devastated by what's going on there right now. So that's how I'm doing. That's my update. So please pray. <laughs> There's a line that got clipped from the beginning of the reading this morning, and I think it's very important. Uh, it says this, verse 6, the, the line before where we started reading, says, Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And, and I wonder how good at that I am. <laughs> I wonder how, how good we are. I wonder how much of a reputation Christians have for them. I, I wonder if in your places of work or, or school or, or clubs that you go to, is that one of the things that comes to mind when people think of Christians? Like, oh yeah, they're, the, they're those that always speak in a way that's full of grace. They always have the right thing to say. 
do people think that you're a Christian because your conversation's always full of praise? That was very Amy. Like, I'm part of this too. Because <laughs> I'm certain people don't think I'm a Christian because I don't get that right. I, I have this kind of dream that pastors on street corners, that instead of giving those, like, repent sinner signs or yelling at people, uh, I'll tell them that Jesus is coming, but not really knowing what that means. Instead, they're just standing there having grace-filled conversations. Wouldn't that be a cool, beautiful image? Just engaging people in conversation and, and gently talking with them, encouraging them. Hebrews chapter 3 makes this point a little bit more forcefully, actually. Uh, it says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? One of the things that hardens us is a lack of encouragement. Are the people that you know in your life who, who maybe that applies to? Maybe it applies to you a little bit. That where there's a rawness or a wound or just a, a hardenness because of the lack of kindness that's been shown in certain areas. One of my friends said to me recently, it's like, you know, I compliment you on your sermons, uh, but I don't want you to get a big head. <laughs> and just so you know, that like isn't a risk for me. Uh, I spend most of my weeks fretting over what I could have said better and, and should have said differently. Uh, but I will say I'm not particularly good at receiving encouragement either. Maybe this applies to some of us. I feel that Again, this is the interesting thing, being being an outsider. The English are just awful at receiving compliments. Like we it's like the most painful thing you can do to an English person is be nice to them. We can respond to anything other than a compliment. Uh I mean the other end of the scale are the Americans who just think they're the best at everything and you know enough said about that the better. Uh, <laughs> but I will say I'm I'm like surrounded by wonderful people who encourage me and yet I still find it hard to receive that encouragement. The Bible says it's really important that we encourage one another, and so it's probably important I receive that encouragement. Uh, my counselor and I have been trying to work out why I have such a hard time receiving compliments, and, and maybe there's different reasons for all of us here. But I think one of the things is that I've never seen receiving compliments modeled well. Maybe, maybe that speaks to you too. I think the way that we're raised and the people that we're around have a, such a huge and profound impact on us. And so if we're in a household where the compliments are freely given and eagerly received, it's probably going to make it easily. And I will say in my household uh, growing up, my parents are so good at complimenting one another. And, and that's kind of easy. My parents are great. They're wonderful. Hi, mum who's watching this from Madeira right now. So. <laughs> uh, but my mother is this like, beloved doctor in the community who patients come up to like 30 years after the last time they saw her and, and, and express what a difference that she made in their lives. And my father is this incredible photographer, and I think his photography speaks for himself. But they won't hear that about themselves. They're very good at giving compliments, but not good at receiving that encouragement. So I think I probably picked that up as well. But I think that we probably all have reasons that we don't believe some of the kind of things that 
people have to say about us. I don't really have an answer for that either. I realize I just kind of left it there. But I think it's something we need to work on. I think it's something, what does it say to actually believe the person <laughs> who's saying kind things about you? This is one of the things my counselors, this is a lot of counselors today. She's like, why would you think these people would lie to you? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it's a kind of convoluted conspiracy, James, to make you think you're better at things than you are. <laughs> I think it's also important to recognize that just because something seems so easy and has gone so well doesn't mean that we shouldn't encourage the person doing it. Um, at the church I was at before Wellspring, we'd have a question and answer after the service, which was just fun, actually. Um, often some good conversation came out of that. And one lovely lady said to me, uh, James, you, uh, I, I love it when you preach. You're just so natural up there. And my response to her was, it took me 30 hours to look that natural for 30 minutes. <laughs> When you see, like, Caitlin play the piano, right? It, it just sounds good, and it sounds beautiful. I mean, like, I can pick on any of our musicians. It just looks effortless. I was thinking about when Sarah plays the violin as well. It looks effortless, and it looks beautiful, and it sounds amazing. And I'm like, oh, it just, you know, it clearly comes so easy. It's like, yeah, it came easy because I've worked at this for 30 years. <laughs> but let, let's, let's follow scripture's example here let's let's encourage one another i think it's so key so long as it is called today let us encourage one another and you see this is what paul does in his letter he doesn't just say let your conversation be full of grace and then has some ungraceful conversation he says let every conversation be full of grace, and then he does that. Each person he mentions in the letter, he shares how much he appreciates them. He shares the work, appreciates the work that they've been doing. He doesn't just ask the people to keep their speech full of grace. He speaks in a way that is full of grace. He speaks of Titicus, who he calls a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. He says Anisimus is a faithful and dear brother too. Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice have all proved a comfort to him. Epaphras wrestles in prayer and works hard. He even shouts out Nympha and the church that meets in her house. Like We don't know much about most of these people. For some of them, it's the only time they get mentioned in Scripture. And yet, look at the encouraging words that Paul has to say about them. Two thousand years later, we, those encouragements have stayed with us. We're still talking about them. That's how powerful encouragement can be. So long as it is called today. So I'm I'm going to break some rules now because I can do that, and I realize I can do that, and it's dangerous to allow me to do that. But I'm gonna. So anyone here who has a cell phone on them. I'm going to encourage you to take it out right now and send an encouragement to someone that you know that needs encouragement. And you know, if it could not be someone in here, so everyone's just like doing this weird swapping of encouragements, like that would be great. It can be more than one person. I'm okay with you encouraging multiple people. 
Uh, for those of you that don't have a phone on you, make a note, grab some paper. Um, think about who it is that you're going to connect with, who you want to call later on, and offer this encouragement to. Uh, but I, I'm going to give you, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it too. You're doing an amazing job. <laughs> Thanks, my mom. Give you another 30 seconds to do that. All right, I'm going to trust that encouragement has been sent. And, you know, you're allowed to encourage people after the service as well. This isn't, doesn't end. So the, the final part of thinking about this encouragement and thinking about this text, Paul's kind words towards one individual in particular are potent and wonderful and brilliant. And that person is Mark. Now, if you're like me, you probably, as I say, I, 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 maybe I'm the only one. Like I'm saying, like everyone just skips through these parts, right? And if like, no, James, this is our favorite part of the letter, like Caitlin is. But assuming that maybe you don't spend all of your time in the back end of letters, you probably don't spend quite as much time there as you might do in other parts of the Bible. And I'm going to be honest and say that when I read Paul's letters, I don't search for every time each of those people is named in the Bible. Often, as I say, they're only named once anyway. And so I don't blame you. And But here's something I, I only learned this this week. So this is how easy this is to meet. And bear in mind, I have like a degree in this, and I spend a lot of time researching things in the Bible. Um, but one thing I missed is that Mark, who is mentioned here, is also called John. This gets mentioned elsewhere. And to be clear, there's a whole bunch of Johns. There's a lot of Johns, a lot of Johns. 
Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. Mark and Paul actually have a lot of history, which, again, is something that can be missed when we're already reading this passage. But Mark and Paul have an awful lot of history. In Acts 13, we read about John, who's actually this Mark, by the way. So that, it's really easy to miss this when people just change their names, right? Uh, so we read about Mark joining Paul in his missionary journey, but then things get tough and Mark leaves early. And that was something that Paul found very difficult to forget and forgive, apparently. And it's the cause of his split between him and his dear friend Barnabas. Uh, this is from Acts 15, beginning at verse 36. Uh, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to talk, take John, also called Mark, didn't want to mention it earlier, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take them because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. There they had a sharp disagreement and they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. And as far as we are aware, Paul and Barnabas would never work together again. So we don't know what's happened in the interim. But what we do know is that later in Paul's life, he and Mark have reconciled so completely that they're actually working together again. In Philemon 24, Paul calls Mark a fellow worker. In 2 Timothy, Paul calls him helpful to his ministry. So we see there's not just one time that this comes up. Clearly values Mark. And in the Colossians passage that we read today, Paul specifically says that if Mark comes to them, the community should welcome him. And from what I could read this week, the reason for this is because the community would know about the way that Mark had failed in the past. The community would know that Mark had actually bailed on Paul once before. And so here is Paul saying, no, you can trust him. Make sure that you welcome him. This was a loss. It was a wounding that had been felt more keenly by Paul than anyone, as we saw in that Acts 15 verse, where he didn't feel it was wise to take Mark with him. And yet here he is telling to welcome him, welcome his fellow worker in Christ. So, so, so to wrap up, I guess, how much do we think Paul's words must have mattered to Mark? Imagine what an encouragement those words must have been. Mark, who had this stain on his character and on his reputation, and the one who abandoned the mission and went home, but, but his story wasn't done. And I know there's, there's folks here who are, who are wrestling with stuff, who are having a hard time, asking what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus here and now. But the wonderful news that this shows us, that this encouragement, that this reconciliation shows us, is no matter how far we run or how far we might feel from God, there is always that opportunity to be received back, to run back. 
and one of the lines that we might lies rather that we might tell ourselves is you know what what will people say or think what will other people be saying about me but if those words aren't encouragement they're probably not from god not like this so let's let's do what we can to encourage one another <laughs> Let every conversation be full of grace. Let's have the right words to say to people, so long as it is today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the examples that you give us through Scripture of reconciliation, of encouragement, of reminders that our story isn't finished yet. Lord, we pray that we can see others as you see them. We pray that so long as it is called today, we can encourage and love one another. We ask all these things in your name, Lord. Amen.